in. So as you're taking your seat, I want to give you uh, a reminder of something very special that's happening tonight. And this is a really cool um, event in the life of our very young church here. Uh, tonight, we have the opportunity to ordain our very own Pastor Travis. And so I know that you guys have seen him uh, minister and work, and you've seen his faithfulness over this past year here at Fellowship Olathe. And tonight, we get to celebrate together um, with his ordination service. So 5 p.m. Yes, thank you. 5 p.m. right here at Fellowship Olathe in this room we are going to have an incredible opportunity to, to uh, be here with a, with a guy who loves Jesus with all of his heart. And we're going to be able to see God use in a mighty, mighty way in the days ahead. So if you don't have anything going on, be here. And if you've got something going on that you can cancel, cancel it. Because this is extremely important in the life of our church. So be here 5 p.m. this room to support Pastor Travis. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, grab them and open them to the book of Genesis. And we're going to be jumping into Genesis chapter 39 this morning. That'll be our, our text that we're studying. We're going to cover the entire chapter, and, and let me uh, briefly kind of catch us up to speed in the context here, because as you know, last week for Valentine's Day, we took a brief uh, departure from the story of Joseph uh, from uh, chapter 37, so we're introduced to a young man named Joseph and chapter 37, and then we took that uh, really strange kind of detour last week in Genesis chapter 38 and talked a little bit about uh, Judah and Tamar and the significance of that. Uh, Genesis 38 is there so that it uh, answers the questions that we would have later on about the genealogy of Christ. It was a very, very important uh, text for us to study, but now we are back in the life of Joseph in chapter 39. And I just want to share with y'all, from this point out, we're pretty much in the life of Joseph. This is one of my favorite uh, people in all of Scripture to study. We know that Joseph is not a perfect uh, man. He's not a sinless man. But let me tell you, there is so much to be learned from the life of Joseph. Joseph is one of the few patriarchs that we're going to study in this entire book that doesn't have some significant moral failure. In fact, uh, Joseph's life is going to be marked mostly by um, integrity and, and faithfulness. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at a very, very practical text that we can apply to our lives that, that deals primarily with Joseph's faithfulness, but don't miss this, also God's presence. It's going to be the key to Joseph's faithfulness throughout this entire chapter. And every situation that he finds himself in is God's presence throughout this. And so just to, to recap from 37 where we were at and, and set up for this morning, uh, we know in Genesis chapter 37 that Joseph has two dreams. And in those dreams, God has shown him that at some point he is going to rule and his brothers will bow down for, to him. He shares the dreams with his brothers. Probably not a very wise thing to do. He doesn't uh, earn any respect or love from them by doing that. Um, and we know that his brothers plot against him to kill him. But instead of killing him, they, they settle for selling him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites. And those Ishmaelites in chapter 37 say that they take him down towards Egypt. And that's going to set us up in context for where we're at this morning. In chapter 39, verse 1, we're going to pick up with the story of Joseph now in Egypt. But before we jump in, let me pray again this morning 
Uh, Father God, we thank you so much uh, for your word. Uh, God, we thank you for uh, just all the things that we're going to be able to, to learn from it this morning. God, we thank you so much for the life of Joseph. God, uh, a person that we can look to in scripture to um, uh, model our life after God. But I pray that you would remind us this morning. God, that the ultimate person to model our life after is not Joseph, but you. And God, we know as we study this text this morning that Joseph is going to demonstrate faithfulness towards you in a multitude of scenarios, God. But the reason why he's able to have success is because you are with him. And so, Father, I pray that you would challenge this this morning with your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you would, start reading with me in Genesis chapter 39. We're going to read verses 1 through 6a here this morning. So the Bible says this, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Verse 2, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house. And he put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on, on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning is Joseph's faithfulness in the face of uncertainty. So in these first six verses, in verse 1, we pick up with him now being in Egypt. And if you remember, I mentioned the two dreams that Joseph had had before. Previous to this, that God was going to raise him up and that he would be a leader over people and that people would be bowing down before him. But clearly, that is not where Joseph finds himself. Joseph doesn't find himself in a place of leadership, but actually Joseph finds himself in a pretty deep place of uncertainty. You know, in Joseph's mind, I can only imagine where he's at right now. Many of us in this room have probably been to a similar place at some point in our life where we had in mind some things that uh, would work out in a, in a particular way and that they, they didn't work out that way. And, and God, you know, we're in that place where we're like, God, I, I don't know if you've forgotten about me. I don't know what's going on here. I've got more questions right now than I've got answers. And that's certainly the place that Joseph finds himself here. God, what happened to those dreams? Have you ever been there before? God, where are you? I'm not certain if you know exactly what's going on in my life. And in those moments, it is so easy for us to begin to question the goodness of God. And whether or not God is for us in those moments. I remember when we first uh, moved here to Kansas City, we felt like uh, we were in God's will. We had decided and prayed about it that moving here is what we needed to do. So we packed up all of our stuff uh, in Alabama and we began the long journey back here to the Midwest, to Kansas. And when we got here, it seemed like everything was starting to pile up against us. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but you, you're in that moment where you're like, God... Did we make the wrong decision here? Did we, did we misunderstand what it was that you were telling us? And we begin to slip into that place where we begin to question the goodness and intent of God because of the circumstances that we found ourselves in. 
It's a very easy thing for all of us to do, even those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When circumstances begin to mount and situations uh, begin to press in against us, it is amazing how quick we are to begin to turn on God and wonder, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Have I done something wrong or God, have you forgotten us? And I think what's so powerful in this text this morning is that's not what the Bible tells us that Joseph does. As he faces uncertainty, Joseph just begins to be faithful. And it's something that has really challenged me this week, you guys, as I've studied this. The opportunity was there for Joseph to look around at his situation and his circumstances and begin to ask some serious questions of God. Or possibly even begin to throw a little pity party for himself. And maybe even get to a place where he wanted to throw in the towel and give up. But we don't see Joseph respond in that way. We see Joseph respond in trust and faithfulness towards God. And he just begins being faithful wherever God has him. I mean, think about this for a second. He is 17 years old in this scenario. He's been sold by his own family. He's been taken to a foreign land where he knows no one. He is now a slave in an Egyptian household. Joseph is no leader in this circumstance. Joseph comes into Egypt as the second worst thing that he could be, a slave to someone else. But instead of complaining about his circumstances, what does he do? He puts his head down and he begins to work diligently. It reminds me of Colossians 3.23, work as if working for the Lord and not for men. In this situation, Joseph just begins to be faithful. It's this idea of blooming where he's planted, right? Joseph may not be a leader in this situation and he may be currently a slave, but in Joseph's mindset, he's just going to do the next right thing. And I think that's powerful for us to be reminded of uh, because we can all find ourselves in all kinds of situations and we can glean here from Joseph and how he responds. But not only does Joseph respond with faithfulness, remember, in all of these settings that we're going to study this morning, the secret to Joseph's success and even Joseph's faithfulness is God's presence In every single situation that we're going to look at, the Bible goes to great lengths to help us see that this isn't Joseph doing all this by himself, that God is with him the entire time. And in fact, God begins to bless Joseph, and not only Joseph, we see in the text that God begins to even bless Potiphar and his household on behalf of Joseph. It's a powerful picture here in this text of God's presence in Joseph's life and how he's beginning to work things out behind the scenes in this situation that Joseph finds himself in. Because remember, he is demonstrating faithfulness in a moment of uncertainty, but God is not uncertain at any point in this. Joseph can only see what's right in front of him, just like me and you. But God has the 20,000-foot view throughout all of this. That's what we're learning in Genesis. And he knows exactly where Joseph is. He knows exactly what is going on in his life. And God is blessing him through the circumstances that he finds himself in. So a couple things real fast that I want for us to to glean from this this morning. Some practical applications for you and I. Uh, First one is this. That like Joseph, we should be faithful wherever God has placed us. The idea of blooming where we are planted. 
I have a feeling we could go around the room and there would be many people who would be able to tell us that you are not currently at a place that you wish you were in your life. I don't know if that's at school or maybe it's in your career, your job, or wherever it is that you're finding yourself, but I'm certain that there are people in the room that would be able to say that I'm not exactly where I wish I was. And you would be in the same boat as Joseph in this text. He is not at all at a place where he wishes that he was, but he demonstrates faithfulness where he's at. So that's a challenge for you and I, that we would demonstrate faithfulness wherever God has us in the season that he has us in. The second thing is this, is it just a reminder that God doesn't always change our situation and our circumstances, but he works through it. God isn't always going to change what you're up against, but he's going to be present with you throughout the entire thing. I remember back to our story when we first moved to Kansas City and those things, Aaron and I would pray and we finally got to a place where we had to make a decision. Do we trust God? And I remember Aaron talking to me one uh, morning about everything that had been happening in our lives and, and what she said is something that we still talk about to this day because it was such a powerful idea to us. She said, I've been studying in the word and praying and God has really hit me with with this idea, do I want him more than I want my circumstances to change? And man, what a powerful idea. Instead of focusing all of our time and energy and effort on the things that are going on in our life that we don't like and how we can change them, what if instead we put all of that effort into getting to know God more? Because that's exactly what God is doing through those times and moments in our lives. He's not going to just swoop down and magically change all of our circumstances, but he will be with us through them. And God uses us, uses those things to grow us in our relationship with him. So be reminded of that and ask yourself that question. Next time you find yourself in that position, ask yourself that question. Do I want God more than I want my circumstances to change? The next one, third let your motivation be rooted in the gospel. Let your motivation for your faithfulness be rooted in the gospel. I love that in this portion of the text that Joseph in his faithfulness becomes a blessing to Potiphar to the extent that Potiphar begins to take notice. And I think it's a powerful reminder to all of us of what we've been called to do as believers. If we would just be faithful Wherever God has placed us, it will award us opportunities and it will give us credibility with those around us when we begin to have gospel conversations. Listen, at your job, the best thing that you can do right now is be the best employee that you can be and be the hardest worker and the man of, and woman of integrity and a person that be, can be counted on. That way you're building up credibility with those around you. That way when you open your mouth and have opportunities to share Christ, people don't begin to question your message because they question you. So it's a powerful reminder that all this can be rooted in the gospel. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So powerful, practical applications for all of us in this first in the first six verses here. We're going to continue on and look at verses 7 through 18 here. See the second kind of scene in this chapter. So verse 7 says, and after a time, oh, excuse me, 6b. 
This is important. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, right? That's every guy's wish right there, to be listed in the Bible as being handsome and awesome. You know, in fact, this is a funny thing, kind of side note here. Only three people, three people in all of Scripture are listed as being handsome in the Bible. It is, do you know who they are? It's Joseph here. Pop quiz. You guys are like, we did not sign up for this. Okay. Absalom in, in uh, I think it's uh, 2 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, it's David. All right. So you've got three guys in the Bible. So this is a short list. So I don't know what all that means, but I guess it means that he was really, 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 really good looking. Okay. So he's handsome in form and appearance. Verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you were his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her or lie beside her or even be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. As soon as she saw he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a, lie, a loud voice. As soon as, as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. So the second thing that we see here in the text is Joseph demonstrating faithfulness in the face of temptation. Faithfulness in the face of temptation. So the Bible tells us that he's a good-looking guy. And this doesn't happen immediately. In fact, Joseph comes to Egypt when he's about 17 years old. We know that he spends a total of about 11 years in the household of Potiphar. So he's not 17 anymore, he's an older man, and now he's become a man of position within the household. So he's good looking, he's in charge of everything, he, he's older and more mature now, and over the course of these 11 years, Potiphar's wife has begun to take notice of him. And she approaches him uh, to lie with her in this case, and, and what we got to understand about this text here is in, in the Hebrew here, this is, this is one word. And it's a very vulgar word, so we can tell that there's no, this isn't about a, a lovey relationship. This is a, this is a very vulgar request. She is just uh, trying to fulfill the lust of her eyes and, the, and, and her own fleshly appetite here. So she comes to Joseph and asks him to lie with her, and he refuses. But if you, if you caught in the text, what it says is this begins to happen day after day. And this is important for us to understand the text because I think we would all agree, overcoming temptation once is much easier than having to overcome temptation over and over again. And that's what we find here in the context of this story. So he's trying to do the right thing. And day after day, Potiphar's wife is coming 
at Joseph with this same temptation over and over again. And in the context of this, we could all see that it would have been very, very easy for Joseph just to give in. I mean, who would know after all? He could honestly get away with this quite easily. And honestly, to this point, I don't know if you guys are anything like me, but I know uh, myself pretty well. And I could even see Joseph justifying his behavior here. After all, God, I don't know what you did with those dreams, but I'm still a slave here in Potiphar's house, and maybe I'll just throw in the white towel and start doing some of the things that I want to do here. But Joseph doesn't respond that way. Joseph responds with faithfulness in the face of temptation. So a couple things for us this morning in application, some things that we see Joseph do here in this story that I think we would be wise to keep in mind ourselves. The first is this, is that we should have a decided heart. Have a decided heart. Know what you're going to do before you get in the situation. I love this about Joseph. Joseph's response to her is a well-thought-out response. You can tell that it's something that he had already been thinking about. It's not something that he came up with right then and there on the spot. And that's a powerful reminder for us of the importance of having a decided heart and knowing what we would do in a situation before we find ourselves in that situation. Every young person in this room has probably been challenged in this way by their parents at some point. I know I was. It's something that we would challenge uh, our students all the time. But there's no difference whether you're you're 13 years old or, or 57 years old. The same thing is true. Having a decided heart will help you to be faithful in moments of temptation. The moment itself is not the time to try to figure out what you would do there. It's... It reveals, it reveals what you've already planned out to do there. So have a decided heart. Second thing is ground your reasons in immovable truth. Ground your reasons in immovable truth. In this text, I love that Joseph just calls it what it is. He calls it sin a sin. And he says, he, he says this is a great wickedness. But catch who he says it's against. Joseph doesn't say that I don't want to do this because... It would be a sin against Potiphar or even against Potiphar's wife. But Joseph says, I would not want to commit this great wickedness against God. He's rooted his reason in an immovable truth because if you, if you root it in something else, it's too easy to move the goalpost. It's too easy to justify and compromise your behavior. Let me give you an example. If Joseph here was to say, listen, I don't want to commit this great wickedness against Potiphar. Potiphar's been so good to me, right? What happens when Potiphar's not so good to Joseph? Is it not easier for Joseph to move the goalpost and compromise in those situations? But that's not what Joseph does. In this situation, Joseph grounds his reasoning for staying faithful in this moment to God. That's a, that's a, a, a line that Joseph can't move. Nothing he can do can change that situation. There is no behavior that Joseph can now justify if he understands that anything would be a sin against God in this moment. And the third thing, do whatever it takes to get out. If you face temptation like Joseph is facing in this situation... Not only know what you're going to do before you get in the situation, not only have your reasons grounded in immovable truth, uh, but do whatever it takes to get out. 
I love that the scripture says that even when she tries to pin him down, he flees from it. He doesn't play with fire in this situation. He gets out. It's a powerful reminder to all of us as Christians that if you're facing temptation, first off, know. Know yourself well enough to know what your greatest temptations are. And when you know what those things are, be willing to do whatever it takes to overcome them in your life. For some of you in this room, that might mean going to more drastic measures than others, but whatever it takes. That's why we, Pastor Travis and myself, we have policies to never be alone with women for any reason. It's to help us be above reproach. The same thing for you. For some of you, maybe doing whatever it takes to, to rid yourself of temptation is getting rid of all the computers in your house. Or maybe you need to go back to a flip phone instead of a smartphone. But it's all in the idea of doing whatever it takes to get out of that situation. And number four, remember that God is present and helping. Whenever you find yourself in temptation, know that God is with you. And God wants to aid you through those moments. I think of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. But you've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. So have a decided heart. Ground your reasons in immovable truth and do whatever it takes to get out of there. And then this last little section that we see here, verses 19 through 23, the story continues on. It says, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. There we see it again as bookends in this chapter. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So this last section that we see is Joseph's faithfulness in the face of adversity. I said at the beginning that Joseph came into Egypt as the second worst thing that he could, a slave. And because Joseph chooses to do the right thing, he now finds himself as the worst thing he could be in all of Egypt, a prisoner. And in this context, we see that Potiphar's put in a situation where his hands are really tied here. If you really study the passage, you come to an understanding that, that Potiphar maybe believes Joseph a little bit here. That's probably what allows Joseph to stay alive. What would typically happen in these scenarios, especially for a slave, is if he was accused of this act, he would have just immediately been put to death. But Potiphar doesn't put Joseph to death. He puts him in his own prison. So there's an element going on here where maybe Potiphar believes Joseph even more than he believes his wife. But he's between a rock and a hard place. He's been put in a situation now where his wife has told everybody in the house that Joseph has done this thing. 
And so now he must punish Joseph or do something about it because of the position that he's been put in. So he puts Joseph in the prison that he's in charge of. And in verse 21, it starts again with, but the Lord was with Joseph. Remember, this entire chapter is about Joseph's faithfulness, but God's presence in every single situation. And it it says that he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So Joseph just starts over again. But he goes right back to how we started the chapter. He's not where he wants to be, but he's exactly where God needs him to be. And he's just going to be faithful there. Wherever he finds himself, he's just going to be doing the right thing. And it's a powerful reminder for all of us throughout this whole text of what it means to be faithful to God and experience God's presence no matter our circumstances or situation. So application here for us. A question that I want you to seriously consider because I think it's a timely question for our upcoming cultural environment. I believe as Christians, there is coming a day sooner rather than later where simply following Christ will cost you much more than you've ever experienced before. And like Joseph in this situation, Joseph chooses to do the right thing. He chooses faithfulness to God, and what does it get him? Not a better situation, but a worse situation. So my question for you is, what if faithfulness to God costs you? And a follow-up to that is, am I willing to follow Christ even if I don't benefit or ultimately suffer? I want you to really wrestle with that question. Where you're at in your relationship with Jesus and, and how ready you are to be faithful to him. Because the Bible is very clear about this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're faithful to him, you will experience persecution and suffering at some point. That's what this entire book is full of. It's not full of stories of guys who everything works out for them because they love Jesus. It's full of people who love Jesus and experience all kinds of crazy, crazy situations, but God is with them through it. And that's what we're promised as believers. Nowhere in the Bible will you find the verse that says God will never give you more than you can handle. But you can take to the bank that God will never let you go through something that he can't handle. So remember that faithfulness on our part, but understand that we have the presence of God on our side as well. Let me pray this morning and then we will have our time of response. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. And God, we just... Uh, We just come before you this morning, God, and we just ask that you would use this text to speak to our lives, God. I pray that you would be very specific where I've been, General God. You know the hearts of every single person sitting here, God, and you know how to make this come alive. You know how to make the text apply to their own lives, and Father, I just pray that you'd begin to work and move. And God, whatever you're asking people to do in this moment, God, I pray that they would respond in obedience. God, for some of the people in the room this morning, maybe they just needed a a good reminder, God, that you're not always going to change their circumstances, but you will be with them every step of the way. God, I can't even begin to imagine what is going on in some people's lives. The hurts, the questions.
questions and the crazy situations that maybe they woke up and found themselves in today. But God, I pray that you would remind them of you, your, your presence, God, that you'd be close and near to them, God, and that they would desire you more than they would desire their circumstances to change. God, for others in the room, maybe they're experiencing temptation, God, and just a practical reminder of as we face temptation, Lord, that there's some things that we can do to be ready and be successful, but God, we're ultimately only successful because you're with us, and you're helping us, and you provide us with a way of escape. And God, maybe some people in the room are facing adversity today. Maybe some things are going on in their life because of their decision to follow after you, God. So I pray that you would encourage them. God, I pray that you would remind them that they're not alone, that your word is full of faithful men and women who loved you with all their hearts, that experienced difficult things. But God, in the end, they would all say that it was worth it. God, I pray that you would just move and work this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.